Hey church, welcome to Crossbridge Brickle Online. We're so glad that you joined us this evening. As you can tell, I am tuning in from my office in Pipeline Workspaces on Brickle Ave. This is the Crossbridge Brickle office on weekdays, and I thought it was appropriate to tune in from here because we as a city and as a community are eagerly anticipating the reopening of our great city. This coming Wednesday, non-essential retail is going to begin to open at a limited capacity. The following Wednesday, restaurants will open at a limited capacity. Parks are going to begin to open, and we are all waiting with anticipation for beaches to open. If you're excited for the beaches to open back up, would you put a little surfer in the chat or a sunshine or whatever you think is appropriate? I know I'm excited to get back to the beach. But as we enter this new normal, we as a church are evaluating and seeking God for wisdom on what it looks like for us as well. What does our reopening plan look like? And we don't want to formulate that without hearing from you. And so this coming Wednesday, we're going to be sending out an email to everybody in our database asking you to fill out a survey and share your thoughts and your opinions about how the church should reopen and what that should look like. We want to take all of that into account as we begin to formulate our plan and then as we share it with you in the coming weeks. If you're not on our email list and you would like to be, you can just click on the connect card that is in our comment section of the chat, fill it out, and we will make sure to add you so we can hear from you as well. Well, church, welcome to our our giving moment. And uh, despite all of the crisis and all of the social distancing that we've had to follow, I'm so encouraged that the continuing generosity that you've displayed over the last seven weeks and all of the continued uh, uh, bridges that we've built with people, whether it's distributing food or seizing the opportunity to care for your neighbor and bearing one another's burdens and praying for one another and spiritually supporting one another, it's just a good indicator of how deeply we've understood what Christ has done for us. Well, One of the ways that your generosity has had a significant impact is that we've recently sent some food to ministry families to where my people are from, Havana, Cuba. Let's take a real quick look at this video. Queridos hermanos, solamente un pequeño reporte para agradecerles esta maravillosa jornada que hemos tenido para llevar los alimentos a pastores en el oriente del país. Hoy fue una jornada fuerte, eh, problemas mecánicos con el transporte, eh, eh, muchos, muchas retenes donde le pedían la documentación, etcétera, pero eh, finalmente se logró el propósito del viaje. Eh, Ya los alimentos están en los puntos acordados de de descargue y a partir de mañana los pastores eh, podrán ir y buscar eh, muchos de estos alimentos. Ya algunos lo han hecho. Ha sido un motivo de alegría para ellos. Realmente ha sido una experiencia que va a ser una experiencia inolvidable porque en medio de esta situación han tenido algo que comer. Y a nosotros nos ha dado un placer increíble poderles servir de esta manera. Justamente anoche me llamó un pastor diciendo no tengo nada que dar a mi familia mañana. Y hoy Dios le suplió. Gracias a ustedes. Ustedes lo hicieron posible. Eh, esperamos mañana otra vez volver a mandarles algunas de las experiencias de este día, del día de mañana, porque igualmente Dios será siempre muy fiel. Gracias. Dios les bendiga. Que Dios los bendiga y te lo siga usando. Gracias a ustedes por esta gran ayuda, a los hermanos de la convención. Eh, estamos profundamente agradecidos por este gesto de, de bondad en estos tiempos de una situación difícil. Muchas gracias. Gracias, hermano, que Dios le bendiga. Gracias, porque las oraciones fueron contestadas y ya vamos un mes orando por esto. 
Gracias por tenernos en cuenta a nosotros los cubanos. Gracias, hermano. Le, le damos muchísimas gracias. Muchísimas gracias una vez más a Dios por, por todo. Gracias. Dios le bendiga. Well, church, if you're watching us via Facebook Live, you can give as the giving link will make itself available to you in the comment section. If you're watching us via live stream, you can find the donate button or the give button on your particular website, and you can give to your particular campus, and you can continue to give as we reach people in our city and obviously people beyond our city and the world. I want to pray with you. If you can close your eyes where you are and just pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, help us today to trust you more. Help us to be shaped by you and aware uh, of those around you uh, or those around us who are in need. All things come from you. And of your own do we give to you today. I ask that you release in that a generosity of spirit that comes from you and you alone. Jesus, help, help us. Help us be mindful of the priorities that you have set for our lives, that we may respond with open hands in everything that you have called us to do. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill us with a desire a desire to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that transform we may no longer be shaped into the way of the world, but instead we may be conformed to the will of God. Amen. Freedom, a beautiful word. Longed for today more than ever. And now, what will you do? Will you fight? or retreat? When challenges are set before you, will you lead with faith or by sight? Will you act with both kindness and courage? With might and compassion? See a king through the eyes of a child who finds beauty in brokenness and strength in weakness. A great king wields both the heart and sword. Find hope in a king that reveals the true path of victory. Hello, thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Online Church. Today, I want to give a special shout out to all of those who are participating and worshiping with us outside of Miami. I don't know if you knew this, but over 50% of our viewers have been from outside of Miami. Quite amazing. We have strong contingent of viewers in places like Denver, Colorado, Ann Arbor, Michigan, San Diego, California, Fresno, California. By the way, if you're from one of these places that I've just listed, hit us up, let us know. We would love to connect with you and find out ways of how we as a church can serve you where you're at. Now, on to the sermon. We're back to our Harp and Sword series. It's a series on the life of King David. We're on week four. And today, the topic is the topic of devotion. The simplest way I like to define, define devotion is giving yourself fully to something or someone. And boy, during the season, there's a lot of devoted people. Wouldn't you agree, boys? Yeah, we've seen it all across the landscape of our church. One person I want to highlight is Denise from the Brickell campus. I know that this is unexpected for her, but she has devoted herself to her calling of being a creative coordinator at the church. She's immune compromised, so she has not been able to leave the church for, or her house for over two months. She's a lawyer and has a, a very intense job, and yet she has poured her time to support the services and to make them great. I mean, she sends me emails every single week of different ways that we can improve, and it's been so inspiring to see her devotion. Shout out to Denise. Thank you yeah. very much. Carter, you and I did a, a couple Zoom interviews a, a couple weeks ago and yeah. um, about courage. And um, one of the interviews I did was uh, Elder Mark. Elder Mark continues to serve the church and helping us to think, uh, think about the church and think about how we respond proactively and productively in the season. And it's just an amazing example of devotion, devoted to his, his family. He has a daughter who's immunocompromised, as you saw in the interview, um, devoted to his family, devoted husband, devoted father. 
furloughed from his job, continues to serve uh, the church and, and just continues to, to provide uh, for us and, 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 and helping us uh, become a viable witness to the community. So, Mark, I just want to say yeah. thank you. You thank get, you, Mark. You, get thank four you. Star, you get a five-star reading uh, of devotion from my, for the day. From my book. <laughs> you know, even though they're great people devoting themselves to great causes, it's possible to give yourself to the wrong things. And during the season, it's sad to see people giving themselves to the wrong things. Uh, you see people giving themselves to sloth, binge-washing shows on TV, giving themselves to discouragement, giving themselves to anxiety, giving themselves to fear. See, the best form of devotion is devotion to God. Because even though there are sacrifices involved in giving yourself to God, there's never any losses there is nothing that you can give to God that you won't receive 10 times in return. We can never outgive God. Yeah, and we see that in the life of David here in our passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You know, David has been a man fully devoted to God for many, many years, and he's been through a lot. He was anointed king at a young age, but unable to assume the throne. He defeated Goliath. He honored Saul when Saul sought to dishonor him and even sought after his life. He's been running in the wilderness, hiding for his life for over 10 years, and it's been 20-some years now, roughly, that he was anointed king, and now he is, in fact, the reigning king, and he celebrates this opportunity to lead God's people with bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, this worship party. He's a warrior, but he's a poet, and he has this entire parade to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, God's presence. And so we pick that up in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verses 5 to 15. And so if you have your Bible at home, you could pull it out and read along with us, or you could look on the screen as well. It says this, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gideite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gideite for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him, because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the horn. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we see here devotion in three ways. We see David's devotion as in his desire to know God. We see David's devotion in the joy that comes from knowing God. And thirdly, we see the generosity that flows from that joy. Well, church, a couple weeks ago, um, on the topic of courage, uh, we learned that David was a man after God's heart. And today we're going to see him searching and going after God. And Carter, just like you said, it's been 20 years it's been 20 years since Samuel uh, first anointed him to be king. And we see here now he's anointed a second time by Judah, to be clear, to be king of Judah. Six years from now, he'll be anointed a third time to be king of Israel. But he's king of Judah because Judah and Israel have now split into two different kingdoms. And so 
Well, because without God, everything falls apart, right? So David's first act of leadership here as king of Judah, he's got 30,000 people behind him, is he wants to bring back the glory of the Lord via, like you said, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark, as we all know, is a wooden box. It's overlaid with gold. It's got items in it. It's got a golden pot of manna from the wilderness. It's got Aaron's rod. It's got the two tablets that God gave to Moses. And this is a central component to worship in Israel. In fact, they would take this thing out to the battlefield, right? In front of the soldiers, right? But here's the problem. This thing has been missing for 75 years. Nobody's been asking where's God's presence for 75 years. And it's been sitting up in Abinadab's house for 20 of those years. And so David, knowing that he would be king one day of Israel, he, he goes after this thing in order to solidify the kingdoms. He goes after this thing in order, in order to get the people of God to know who Israel's true king was Spoiler alert, it's God. And he goes after this thing in order, he wanted the entire kingdom to live in the tangible presence and power of God. But here's the problem. He doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to bring it back. Hey, did you know that you can go about the right thing in the wrong way? Sometimes we get it in our heads. It's, you know, if we do the right thing, we'll never have any problems. If we just, you know, if we just, if we meant well, then everything would go right. That if our hearts are in the right places, that we'll never face any challenges. But that's not how life works. We're still going to have problems because, listen, problems perfect us. Problems uh, train us up. Problems have a tendency to, to even build up a relationship. I've been married. We've been married for a while. I've been married for 23 years. And we haven't lasted this long because of all the things that went right, but because of all the things that went wrong and how we came together and we chose to face them together, these problems. Problems force us to pay attention to the details that oftentimes we overlook, oftentimes we ignore. And while David's dream here is to reconcile a, a Judah to Israel, God to his people, the ark back to Zion, he, he either overlooks some details or ignores some details, some crucial details here on how to do it the right way. And here's why this matters for us who are in leadership and church. Here's why this matters. When it comes to obeying God, when it comes to following God, it's often the details that trip us up. And so what do we do? We, we grab our own cart, right? They bring this thing out in the car. Say, yeah, let's go. Bring it on the car. We'll ride in it. We grab our own carts. We rewrite our own rules. We want to do it our way, for, all the while forgetting that God's work must be done God's way if it's going to have God's blessing. We can do it our way. We can do it our way. We can try. And it'll work sometimes. Listen, it'll work real good for a while up until something trips and problems come. And here's why problems come. They come to prove whether or not we care about doing the right thing in the right way, or rather, in this case, God's way. And so, and so the ox trips, and, and the ark slips, and, and the worship team stops playing. The band stops playing the music. Because somebody just dropped dead trying to do the right thing in the wrong way. You know, I was on the... Uh, brink of divorce, and I've shared this in the past, and those of you who know me, you know my story, but I'll share this with the wider audience. I was on the brink of divorce year uh, three or year four in my marriage, and I remember asking my wife, I said, mommy, I don't understand the problem. I don't understand the problem. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't hang out with girls who do. You know the saying, you know, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. The problem is I didn't really want to know my wife. I didn't really want to be in her presence. I didn't really want to do things for her in the way that she needed to be known and needed to be loved. And throughout those short three or four years, I ignored details. I overlooked details. Watch this. That separated me from the purpose of being with the person I love the most. David found himself here. The man who came to reconcile has now been separated. The man who came to, to make the connection here finds himself separated from his purpose. And here's how I know this. He sends the ark into somebody else's house. Hey, did you know you can never reassign your purpose? I mean, there are things I can try to teach you. There are things I can try to train you. Church, there are things that I can help you accentuate in terms of what God has given you and called you to do. But here's, what, here's something I can never do. I can never give you what God has given me. I mean, Felipe, I can, try, I can try to preach like you. I can try to, I, I can try to work out like you, right? <laughs> I can even try to dress like you. Apparently, Carter does a better job than I do. I can try to dress like you, right? <laughs> I can try, but here's, what's, here's something I can never do. I can never duplicate you. 
I can't live out your purpose. There are people on the internet today, just one click away, trying to live out somebody else's purpose. Well, if I can just parent like that parent, then I'll be a, 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 a better parent. You know, no. God has chosen everybody for a specific purpose. God has chosen you, Philippe, to lead a movement over the last 10 years. And I would argue, I would argue that the reason you've been preaching to the team of late, details, details, sound like a real estate agent, location, Location, you've been preaching because you have learned throughout all this time, all of the challenges that, 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 that we faced, all of the harsh discoveries that we face as an organization has led you to believe that not that the devil is in. Listen, the devil's not in the details. The dream, the dream is in the details, right? All of the challenges that we face has, has forced us at times to ask the very same question that David would ask himself here in verse 9. How did this happen? Why did this come to me? Why me? He's probably sitting up there. I don't want to be king anymore. I'm confused. I don't want to do God. Why? Well, here's why, David. Ain't nobody, ain't no, ain't no other David. In fact, there's nobody else in the Bible with that name. God chose David to be king, not because he was kingly, not because he was running up to seize an opportunity to be king, but because he was living out his purpose. He would write in Psalm 78, 70, God, you have chosen your servant David in the sheepfolds. What, what was he doing back then? He was living out his purpose. But now... Now he's sitting up here angry for three months because he thought he was serving his life's purpose and bringing back the glory of the Lord. But he overlooked certain details, right? And he failed to submit to the Lord's priorities. Listen, church, the ultimate purpose that God has for you is for you to know him. Everything in life is designed towards that end so that you know him and that you enjoy him forever. He wants you to know him but he's got a totally separate, uh, separate different uh, set of priorities than we do, right? And it's not that we shouldn't prioritize. It's not that we shouldn't plan. It's not that we shouldn't watch uh, videos and put first things first and try the best we can. Do that. It's when these things fail, when these plans fail to come out the way we think they should have come out. It's not that we, we need to remind ourselves, not that we're being measured by God, right? by these plans that we do according to our purpose, but that we are being measured by, by, by whether or not we trust in the goodness and the wisdom and the sovereignty of God to work all things out according to his purpose. David. David had to learn to trust. Trust that God would use this, this new mess of inefficiency. That's where we find ourselves as a country right now, looking at how, you know, our, our top officials are handling this situation. God, that's my prayer. God, take this new mess of inefficiency and use it for your glory. Let it serve everybody for the good of everyone, even when I can't see how, even when I don't understand how you're going to do it. And there are so many benefits when we pray this way. But I'll give you the greatest benefit. The greatest benefit is this. Is that when we do this, the greatest benefit in serving your life purpose, church, not somebody else's purpose, but your life purpose in trusting the God of the details and submitting to his priorities or rather his ways of doing things is that we reap or we receive the guidance to now make choices and make decisions that will ultimately lead always, like you said, to greater fulfillment and greater joy. Man, that's so good, Sam. Uh, that, that understanding that knowing God and having that desire mm -hmm. to know God and the way that it affects your purpose is such a timely word. And, and what we see in David is that as he begins to understand more about who God is and he has that desire to know him, it produces joy in him, unimaginable joy. You know, at the beginning, there's happiness in the passage. They have that worship service you were talking about with all the instruments. There would have been a fog machine. I mean, everything was going on. And then the ox stumbles and the ark starts to slide off. And Uzzah, this guy who's right there, thinks to himself, I, I know I'm not supposed to touch the ark of the covenant. Covenant. There's been all of these restrictions so that nobody touches it, but it's going to fall and hit the ground. I got to save it. And so he reaches out and he touches it. And it says in the passage that God's anger is kindled against Uzzah. So much so that on the spot right there, God strikes him dead. I mean, the, the worship service is over. The party, the parade, it's all over. A man has just died. And then it says that David is angry at God. He's angry at God because God struck Uzzah down. I want to know, church, do you resonate with that? I mean, I'm reading this, and I remember reading this many, many times, and 
even reading it this week, and I'm like, why? God, why? Couldn't you have like seen his heart? It was a well-intentioned mistake. Yes, he broke some boundaries, but he was trying to protect the ark from smashing on the ground. Why did you have to strike him down? I mean, I resonate with David being angry. And the reason that God struck him down is because God is serious about holiness. He is serious about his holiness. You see, when Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark with this well-intentioned mistake, he is coming before the very presence of God. It is as if he is stepping into the presence of God, and he's stepping into the presence of God as a sinful, evil, broken man. And God does not tolerate sin and evil. He cannot tolerate it. You see, God is patient, and he is gracious, and he is merciful, but he is also just. And he does not tolerate sin and evil. And that's so difficult for us. We have a really hard time with that because we value tolerance. We, we value tolerance as one of the supreme virtues. We actually believe that the truest form of love is tolerating and accepting everything about another person. Good, bad, strengths, weaknesses. But actually, tolerance is convenient. Tolerance is not love. It's convenient to tolerate someone's sin and their brokenness and their evil and their mistakes because then you don't have to come face to face with it. You don't have to deal with it. We tolerate our own brokenness because we don't want to come face to face with it. It's convenient to be tolerant, but it's not loving. And God is intolerant. He does not, he's not okay with coming face to face with sin and evil because he's good. You see, if, if goodness tolerates evil, it ceases to be good and denies justice. To love someone well is to not tolerate their sin. It is to not tolerate their brokenness. And God loves us well because he does not tolerate it. And when we love someone well, we also don't tolerate it. You see, as a parent, you can tolerate your child running in a busy street, or you can tolerate your child going to their room during this pandemic and saying, I'm doing homework, when in fact they're playing video games. But that's not loving. It's tolerating, but it's not loving. You can be in a relationship with someone and tolerate their hurtful behavior. You can tolerate their neglect, but it's not love. You can tolerate your own brokenness, but you're not loving yourself. You can say, I love this country and I love its people, but if you tolerate what happened with Ahmed Arbery and that injustice, it's not love. It's not love. Love does not tolerate sin and evil, and God is loving he is not the safe, prepackaged, tolerant, get out of jail free card dealing being. Jesus is not the blonde, blank stare, lamb holding, give you a few moral truths to help you get better in your life savior. God is not tolerant of sin and evil. And there's a startling reality in this passage that we're confronted with. And that is that for a lot of us, our concept of God is that he's too safe. God is too safe. We look at God in a way that he is not, and David comes face to face with this here. As he sees Uzzah get struck down, and he's angered, it says in, in verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? He realizes that he is a sinner. He realizes that he shouldn't be the one. He feels as if he shouldn't be the one bringing the ark in. He doesn't feel worthy of it. He doesn't feel like he deserves that type of honor. And so he neglects his purpose for a few months and he passes the ark off on another guy. Obed-Edom. Hey, you, you take it. Take it in your house. I don't want to deal with it. I don't, I've got to reevaluate things. And yet he then hears that after three months, during that entire time, the ark has been richly blessing Obed-Edom and his household. And I think David realizes something. He, he understands something, that desire to know God. He begins to see the full character of God. He, he realizes where he had faulty views of God. Because when David was fearful and angry, God never ceased to be who he is. He continued to be good. He continued to bless. He continued to pour out his mercy and his grace. 
and he continued to be a God of justice as well. And so David goes and he gets the ark. He says, okay, it's time to continue to fulfill my purpose. And he goes back in and brings the ark into the city of Zion, into Jerusalem, the city of David. And you look at that just transformation in his life in this passage. He's happy, and then he's angry, and he's fearful, and then he's overcome with joy because that second parade, that second worship service is even better than the first one. That second worship service, it says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might, full of joy. Now, what happened in David's life? How does David go from happiness to fear to anger to now joy, dancing before the Lord again with all of his might? It's because he saw God for who he really is. He knew God in a deeper and more profound way, and it produced joy in him. You see, church, the question that we have to ask ourselves is how do you find this condition of joy by knowing God? How do you find that? Because, you see, joy is not derived from pleasurable experiences, Joy is a condition based on a relationship. It is not derived from pleasurable experiences. It is a, it is a condition derived from pleasure or from a relationship. You see, when you meet the, the person that you're going to love, when we met our wives, the joy that we felt, felt in our condition, our being, how we were changed was because of the establishment of a relationship with our spouse. It wasn't because we had great experiences and great dates, though we did. It was because of the relationship and when joy fades in a relationship, you don't get it back by going on more dates and planning a vacation. You get it back by seeking to reestablish the relationship. And we have entered a relationship with God through knowledge of who he is, his character and his goodness and his love and his grace. And when we lose that joy, we don't add up some new spiritual experiences to try to ignite a feeling of happiness. No, we work at reestablishing the relationship. And the way that we find joy is we look to the Son. We look to Christ, who was the revelation of God in the flesh. See, we come to God not afraid that God is going to strike us down as we come into his presence. We come knowing that God is going to come to us and give us grace. Why? Because we're not clothed in our sin and our unrighteousness. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ because of what he's done on the cross. You see, we're messed up people. I'm a messed up person. And I'm not messed up because there are psychological issues or because of childhood experiences. None of us are messed up because of those reasons. Those aggravate the real problem. The reason that I'm messed up, the reason that you're messed up and you're messed up and every single person watching is messed up is because we're sinners. We're sinful. And yet, Though we tolerate our brokenness, God doesn't tolerate it. And he loved us enough to become flesh and to not tolerate your sin, church. He became flesh and gave his life for you, and Christ sacrificed his life for you on the cross so that you can come boldly before God with your sin, with your brokenness, with your guilt, with your shame. You may have make well-intentioned mistakes, you may push God off on other people like David. You may fail to follow your purpose. You may get angry at God. You may break boundaries and then justify that, you, God, you see my heart. But when we approach God as messed up sinful people, we can find joy. Why? Because we come before a God who gives us grace and mercy because of Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. You see, God's love is not tolerant. It's better than that. God's love is redemptive. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, David showcases this joy mm. that comes from the knowledge of God, yeah. of knowing God, knowing experientially, personally. And, you know, that joy produces generosity in his life. Yep. That's another way in which we see David's devotion to God, not only from this desire to know God, not only from the joy that comes from knowing God, but from this generosity that comes from this joy of knowing God. You see, uh, people that get the good news of the gospel, people that get the gospel, they're generous because they're filled with joy. And the Bible has many examples of that. Let me list a few of them. Uh, first, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the church in Macedonia. 
that Paul uses as an example to the church in Corinth to activate their generosity towards those who are suffering in Jerusalem. And in that passage, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian believers that they were not giving out of the abundance of belongings, but out of an abundance of joy. In the Gospels, right before Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with the disciples, he's in Bethany. This woman breaks into the room where he's having a dinner with his friends, and she breaks uh, an expensive glass of alabaster, very expensive perfume worth a year's wages on Jesus' feet, and she washes Jesus' feet. She anoints Jesus at that very moment with that very expensive perfume. She's reproached by those who were watching that scene, that scandalous scene by the disciples of Jesus and by the host. And Jesus says, you know why she does that? Because those who have been forgiven much love much. And the Bible also gives us negative examples, like the rich young ruler. Remember that? The Gospel of Luke. He refuses to be radically generous towards the poor. Why? Because he doesn't get the gospel. He thinks that he's better than others. That's how he approaches Jesus. He's asking Jesus to look at his morality, as if Jesus would be impressed with his morality. So people that know the gospel, they act generously. And that's the case here with David in this passage. You know, verse 8 that you've mentioned in 9, verse 8 and 9, Carter, that you mentioned, uh, is the moment where the penny drops for David, where he realizes that he is no better than Uzzah. Mm -hmm. He realizes at that very moment that he better not touch that ark wrongfully as well <laughs> because he's not a more moral person than that boy. In fact, he's angry because that was probably a good boy. And he realized, I'm a sinner, and I'm a byproduct of the grace of God. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be king, yet God has lavished his mercy and grace over my life. He has given me power. He has given me this privilege, this huge privilege. He's calling me his son. I'm, I'm not deserving of that. And then David, therefore, demonstrates that joy that comes from understanding the grace of God in his life by, number one, giving himself fully to the Lord. What's the deal here with David dancing like a madman naked before his people? That's exactly what's in the text. He's doing that because he has given himself fully to the Lord. He doesn't care about people's opinions. In fact, when he gets home, his wife, who was Saul's daughter, reproaches him and says, you have just ruined your reputation before the people for doing what you have done. And look at what David says to her right there in verse 21. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house. I spare nothing for the Lord who has shown grace to me. I'll dance naked before him if I have to because he brought me naked into the world. And he saw my naked estate, and he covered it with his righteousness. And then David, you know, obviously takes the ark to the tent. It was an improvised tabernacle. There was no temple back then, by the way. And he takes it there, offers a sacrifice in order to put the ark in. And there's a huge party now. And he feeds his people, his whole people, the whole people of Israel, bread, meat, which is good food, and dessert, raisin cakes. Sounds good. That's good stuff. I'm imagining hundreds of thousands of people. The procession that went to pick up the ark was 33,000. So imagine all the women and the children from all the tribes that had come to Jerusalem to receive the ark. He feeds every single one of them from the coffers of the king. And then he is not only generous 
in deed, but he's generous in word as well. He dispenses a blessing over the people. He says, you are loved. You are adored. You have value. You have worth. And then he goes home and he does the same to his family. And that's when he gets reproached by his wife. He blesses his family. He's generous with his words. Which, by the way, when we're talking about generosity here today, we're talking about generosity more than one way. We're not just talking about financial generosity, material generosity. We're talking about generosity of words. We're talking about being generous with our time, with our talents, with our treasure. See, generosity has nothing to do with the quantity of resources, but the quality of the heart. And it's multifaceted. And that's what we see here in David's life. Why? Why is he generous in the way that he is being generous here? For the same reason why every generous person is generous, and that is because they're full. David here is full of the Spirit of God. That's what the text tells us from very, from very early on. David is filled with the love of God, and David is filled with joy. And because he's full, he can afford to give because there's always a supply of love, of provisions, of assurance, of joy and peace that is coming into his life. There's no fear. See, David is living out of abundance and not out of scarcity. That's how he lives his life, out of abundance. And by the way, he gives us all these beautiful songs that we have in our Bibles that we worship God today through inspired poetry and art. What a gift he has been to humanity. His generosity flows from this life of abundance. And uh, there's two ways to live, and there's a lot of people in this season living one of these two ways. You can either be living out of abundance, or you can be living out of scarcity. What's the difference? An abundant, a person that lives out of abundance, their glass is always half full. They're always saying to themselves, here's an opportunity to give. I'm going to give because I have more than enough. A person that lives out of scarcity, that has a scarcity mentality, they might actually have an abundance of resources, but because they have this mentality of scarcity, they're always saying, I don't have enough. I don't know what the future holds. I'm going to play safe. Their cup is always half empty. They say, if I give today, I don't know if I'll have tomorrow. That's living out of scarcity. That's why the word scarcity has scare in it. <laughs> scarcity. You hear me? See, I want to tell you something today. If you're living out of scarcity, you may believe that God's storehouses will go empty of resources because of the great demand that there is today. You may be thinking, I'm not going to give because I don't know if I'll have provision tomorrow. There's a lot of needs out there. There's a lot of people going to God for their needs, and his shelves may be empty right now, like our grocery stores. Like some of you that have been to the grocery store looking for paper towels or toilet papers, one time I went there looking for eggs. It was empty. The shelves were empty. God's shelves are never empty. He has more than enough resources to provide for every single need of yours and more than every single need of yours. More than enough for you. You believe that? There's no reason for you to live out of this scarcity mentality. And the reason why David is able to live this way is because he knows. See, the ark of the Lord is a picture of the presence of the Lord. That's why he wants the ark in Jerusalem, because he wants the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And where the presence of the Lord is, listen to me, there's provision. Where the Lord is, there's provision. What happened in Obed's house when the ark was in Obed's house? God bless. Oh, man. <laughs> Pouring, dripping on blessings. It's dripping on blessings. And David is bringing the ark to Jerusalem because he wants the people to be blessed because where the presence of the Lord is, there is provision. And the Lord can be trusted. Listen, let me tell you, 
God can be trusted. You have more to trust God with your tomorrow than David actually had. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you that. What's the picture of the sacrifice here symbolizing? Why does David realize that before moving the ark from Obed's house, there, there's a sacrifice that needs to be offered? Why is there this picture of the sacrifice being offered before the ark enters the tent? It's because in order for the presence of God to come to us, for God's provision to come to us, there's got to be a sacrifice. And that is obviously pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would be offered on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ, where God would ultimately provide for our needs so that we can rest today in the present, that he will take care of every single need of ours tomorrow. That's the truth of the gospel. So God can be trusted, and you have more to trust God today than David did because you know how God has provided for your greatest need in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something else. When we act generously, we encourage other people to act generously as well. When we act generously, radically generous, we activate other people's generosity. That's part of the reason why we at Crossbridge, you guys know, we have taken this stance even before we knew how we were going to be financially through this crisis. We're gonna, we said we are going to be the first ones to give because we want to model that for our people. And you've been watching all these videos week after week and hearing all the stories because we want to lead by example. Because generosity is contagious. There's a study that says... That altruism spreads to the third degree, meaning if you are generous to somebody, that person will be generous to another person, and it will activate the generosity of that person to another person. I have a story to share. When we could fly, we, can, we can't fly right now. Actually, there are people flying, but uh, we're not flying right now for safety reasons. I was taking a trip to New York. I was taking that first uh, uh, flight of the day, the 7 a.m. flight. I had to leave my, my house at 5 a.m., got to the airport, 6 a.m., hadn't eaten anything. You know, if you know me, you know that I depend on coffee. I drink like three cups of coffee, four cups of coffee a day. I have an espresso machine in my office. I have two espresso machines at my house. So you guys know, get the picture. So I get to the airport, go through the, the check-in line, go through security. I'm hungry. Sam, I'm hangry. I'm hangry. You're brangry. And so I, 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 see that I, I see that I have about 45 minutes for my flight. I go to the Starbucks store there at the airport, and the line is huge. And I'm like, oh, Lord. But I stand in line because I need to solve that problem right there. And it takes me about 15 minutes to get to the cashier. And when I get to the cashier, I order what I usually order, my favorite items at Starbucks, which is a small cup of black coffee and the ham and cheese croissant. And when I order the ham and cheese croissant, the lady there says, the barista says, oh, great, that's the last ham and cheese croissant. And then I hear a voice right behind me, oh, no, man, that is my croissant. Church, I acted out of character. I said, uh, sir, would you like to share the croissant with me? (laughs) So I ordered the croissant, got a little plastic knife, split it in half in the counter. And for a couple of minutes, we had a conversation, who we were, what we did, talked about our families, where we were going. And that filled my heart with joy. And I went into the plane and I sat in my chair. I was still still hungry. Because I had half a croissant, but my heart was full. I was filled with joy. And I was thinking to myself, what explain me acting out of character? I should have said, that's not your croissant. And if you want it, come wrestle me right now. (laughs) Let's see how this turns out. But I acted out of character, and I was wondering why. And here's why. A day before, God put that in my head. A day before... I had a nail go in my tire, 
And so I drop my kids at school and I take my car to this tire shop next to their school to plug the tire. And so the guy goes there and he plugs my tire and he says, hey, uh, I hope you can pay in cash because we're not taking any credit cards right now. That's always horrible when that happens, right? I said, man, I have no cash. He looked into my car, he saw my Bible sitting on the passenger seat and he said, you're a man of God, I'm sure you can go, you don't need to pay. I am sure that the reason why I acted generously that day, out of character, selflessly, was because someone was generous to me a day before. So church, if we're going to spread anything during the season, let it be generosity. If people are going to catch anything from us, let it be radical generosity. We're praying to God that God would move after the season, out of the season, bring about change in our world. But listen, let me tell you, change will not come unless we, the people of God, act radically generously. So may you be in touch with the generosity of God in your life through Jesus Christ today. Remember that God gave his best for you and to you. And out of that, church, live generously. Live generously. And if we do that together, we will change our city and we will change our world. Hey, church. Thank you for joining us for worship this evening. And we pray that God spoke to you this evening. I want to close with a benediction that comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And I pray that this would be God's good word to you this week, that you would hold fast to this, that you would go out with this throughout this week. Here's God's word to you. It says, Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hope to see you tomorrow at 12 p.m. for live prayer church on our Instagram page. Have a good one. Bye.